0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. And while they're all special, aren't they, episodes of Talking Snooker, Phil, because we love talking about the game that much, but this is an extra special one with sprinkles on, because we have just seen Mark Selby win his fourth world title. And I think the first thing to say is congratulations to Mark. What a wonderful success. What a wonderful triumph for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're um, first, first Talking Snooker episode of the World Championship final. Um, and yeah, absolutely right. An unbelievable achievement. His fourth one. Puts him up there. He was amazing. he was in the conversation with a great game anyway, but puts him even further up that ladder. And uh, it was an incredible effort over the whole tournament. You, know, you could really argue that he was, wasn't was the best player. He, did, he had to dig in at times. He blasted people off the table at other times. And it turned out to be a really brilliant final, actually, in the end. It didn't always look like it was going to be necessarily, but I think by the end... Uh, maybe not quite as far as classic, but a very, very good one. Yeah, it's a good way of
0: saying it, I think. I always think if if the losing player gets to 14, that should be good enough for everybody. I think 13 and below is probably, I mean, it's, it's only my opinion, it's only a, a forensic thing, but I always think if it's 14, that's close enough to be considered a very good final. And 15, not quite great territory, but I tell you what, it was absolutely thrilling. And one th- tonight, and one thing I thought about tonight was from a TV viewing point of view, that actually couldn't have been much better because the result was in doubt across those prime time hours. And the winning pot came between ten o'clock in the evening and ten thirty in the evening UK time. I thought it'd be too UK centric. I know we have listeners everywhere. That would have been more like 11, 11.30 in some parts of Europe, after midnight in others, and of course different times around the world. But just thinking of here in the UK, that is really, really good time. And I really hope the BBC are rewarded, and Eurosport as well, with good viewing figures. But yeah, you're right. It was kind of simmering in the first day. Stephen Hendry used that word, and I thought that was a good one. It was kind of bubbling under. It was almost like, probably a bit over the top saying this, but it was a bit like the finals in the background, really, yeah. while we were all getting on the rest of our lives a mm-hmm. little bit. It never really kind of, uh, you know... Took off, I felt. But it was still fascinating. But then, yes, come this final day, the Monday, it it was brilliant. And let's, while we're saying congratulations to Mark, say well done to Sean, Phil, because he made a real fight of it tonight. From 17-13, all hope looked lost. He won those two frames. He nearly won another and gave us some real drama there.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, out of three sessions, he's drawn to one one And it was just that one session on Friday night that it really went badly wrong for him, which is a really engrossing session where Selby sort of was at his uh, granite best. But yeah, other than that, Murphy turned in a great performance. Uh, Every time you thought, OK, Selby's got him now, he'd win the next frame. There was those back-to-back centuries tonight in the final session uh, when it really looked like he was going to push it and take us all the way. Um, But yeah, great effort from him all tournament really, he came in in no form, I know, I know you've put on Twitter and asked for people who'd tipped him from the start and one or two have come out of the woodwork They they, did, they were, there were some and of course there would be some and he's an, he's an exceptional player but there was, that wasn't probably based on much going into the tournament um, he wasn't showing anything but um, he proved once again what an amazing player he is and he, he contributed to a, a really brilliant final um, showed everything really other than <laughs> I mean the one thing that no one can do which is to avoid getting sucked into swamp Selby as I wrote in some comment in some copy this afternoon um, he'll get you at some point and he got him on Friday night but other than that um, Murphy was as good as him if not better for a lot of the game I think you mean Sunday but but, but the
0: days keep moving, in, moving into one oh, don't
1: they? yeah I've been getting that wrong all tournament days so <laughs> sorry if I do make some mistakes there
0: I feel a bit rude, but I think you said it a few times. I thought we, I must must correct each other is a bit is a bit beyond the pale. But on this occasion, I hope you don't mind, my good
1: friend. No, no, absolutely.
0: <laughs> but it on that Sunday night, I said it was kind of simmering, but it was fascinating, and you just sense. And it was a bit like the the Friday night, which was the Bingham one. It was a little bit similar in the. The more the night went on, I felt it getting more and more kind of sucked into a Mark Selby world, really. And everyone was rushing to use metaphors, weren't they? Hendry was talking about, you know, uh, Selby getting his claws into players and it was all this kind of thing. Um, But, you know, it was so interesting because Selby naturally was probably trying to grind the game down a little bit and play to his kind of pace. Ronnie O'Sullivan was on Eurosport, wasn't he? Very interesting, compelling, actually, from Ronnie saying that Murphy has to play his own game. He has to, you know, try and open it up as much as possible. I'll actually discussed this with a few colleagues today. Some that really know their snooker and some that are more kind of um, taking interest in this tournament kind of thing, more kind of uh, not that regular snooker fan. But we were kind of in agreement that it's easier said than done. And also, Ronnie is a supreme talent and a genius. And, to go off a bit of a tangent, it did make me think again what he did last year, Ronnie, to come from 14-16 down against Selby. It, you know, Seeing Selby in this tournament, I've got a new appreciation of that comeback from O'Sullivan. Mm. But he can do it. Now, Murphy could have done it as well. He nearly did it, actually. Uh, and he did step up and play an attacking game when he could. But again, it's so much easier said than done because Selby is a master... And I think you made a great point on Twitter, Phil, on Sunday, when you said it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but just the the mental strength of Selby is kind of compelling to watch. And I you used a lovely Turner phrase, which was sheer discipline. I love that. And that's the thing with Selby, the discipline of a man is is actually awe inspiring, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think Murphy said, yeah. Murphy used the word patience, which is. Sort of similar to what I meant, there. he said. If he just put it as in, Selby's so just w- willing to wait and wait and wait longer than other players are, longer than any other player is, to 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 take on a shot that he fa- he thinks is worth taking on. He'll uh, he'll keep knocking knocking it safe uh, as long as he as long as he thinks it needs to be done. Um, and other players don't do that. And yeah, it's discipline and it's patience and. Yeah, I I put that tweet up. um, I nearly said Friday again then. I'm obsessed with it being Saturday now. It is Monday now.
0: (laughs) um, Really, during the World Championship, they should scrap the traditional calendar and um, date. I
1: think I have in my head, yeah.
0: (laughs) Just say it's like snooker day number one or snooker day number two. Because effectively, it is for us, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we, exactly.
0: You know, We've we barely been blinking to the light the last two weeks, let alone <laughs> it's true looked, looked in the diary. Go on, carry on, sir. Um,
1: but yeah, I can I can understand why it's not uh, as I put everyone's cup of tea. I mean, it's some slow frames, but it, it's and you wouldn't want to watch other people doing what he's doing because they, uh, his style of play is just bad snooker. But because he's so good at it, and his his mindset doesn't waver. And you're watching his opponent crumble just from him being more patient than them. I think it's absolutely fascinating to watch, um, psychologically more than sort of the game itself. Um, uh, the Wi Fi before about what is his talent but that is very much a part of his talent.
0: Yeah, the Wi-Fi isn't quite as good as normal. Now, what 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 this could be is I don't know where you, what it's like in Reading tonight, but we've had an extraordinary amount of rain tonight in East London. It just seems to be tipping down mm. for England here. And I don't know if that's a factor, because our Wi-Fi is normally brilliant, but we're definitely both breaking up a little bit. But I hope that's not spoiling the listening experience too much. But but, but, as ever, Phil, you, you put it so well there. And... I just think both players spoke so brilliantly as well. A friend of mine said two grown-ups on a message tonight. Good way of saying it, I thought. Mm. Quite a good, simple way of saying it. I mean, considering Murphy's immense disappointment, he was a, like a stand-up show at the end, wasn't he? He was on great <laughs> form. Uh, but, but you know, I have to admit, Phil, um, I hope you don't mind if you're talking a snooker partner in crime admits to being in touch with their emotions, but... <laughs> I found myself getting very, very emotional all of a sudden when Selby had that black. I don't know what it was. It was just the the enormity of the moment in a in a snooker and sporting sense. I don't know whether it was the the, the pandemic and the fact that Crucible was full today, and the emotion of that, or a little bit in my mind just what Mark Selby had been through as a person. But there was something about that moment it it really crystallised, and I kind of I think I always like it when. You have a an actual potting ball moment, which we don't always get, do we? Obviously, because sometimes it's, but you, you always get a ball that puts a player over the line. But sometimes it could be seventy points, or but to have one ball left, it actually happened when uh, Selby won it in in fourteen, didn't it? Against Ronnie, he had a black mm. ball moment in that as well. And actually, uh, we put a picture in Metro tonight, which was very reminiscent of those pictures in two thousand and fourteen. That sh- same expression, mm. Mark, you know, it was a smashing one for the cameras. But I must admit, I really found myself not quite overcome, but very emotional in that moment. I think um, I did joke as well on Twitter saying it could have been the sheer hysteria of this event. That that does <laughs> certainly kick in after a while, doesn't it? Um, to say the least. But yeah, it was such an emotional night. And I, you know, I, I, I know we both spoke to Mark, didn't we, a short while ago in, in on the Zoom. And, you know, without maybe delving too much into into Mark's private past, we know enough about his story to say that, I've always had massive admiration for him as a person um, and as a snooker player, but this as is a, as a human, frankly, from, you know, coming back from some of the sort of trials and tribulations and sadnesses, great deep personal sadnesses he's had in his own life is I think um, a great reason for admiration. I don't know what, I'm sure you would say the same. It, it's something we can all kind of look up to and respect and, you know, I don't want to get down in the sort of anti-Selby thing, but there is a lot of, quite a bit of anti-Selby sentiment. And I I don't find that particularly, you know, appealing in any sense. But when you think about what he's gone through on a personal level, I just think, you know, surely on that side of life, you can only admire the guy, can't you?
1: Yeah, he's an inspirational figure in that sense, definitely. And I've only ever had really nice experiences talking to him. He's a great guy, as far as I'm aware. Um, And... I mean there's different stars of playing snooker matches and like, there's uh, you don't have to love it necessarily, but the, the anti-Selby stuff is, is far too much sometimes. You know, the amount of people saying he's ruining the game, is killing the game. I mean, he's been at the top of the game for how long? 10, 15 years? And I think the game's doing all right. And he's, he's a big part of that doing so well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's nonsense, all that, all that for me. Um, and, yeah, it, he's he's come through some very difficult times in his life and there's suggestion. You know, I think this is Dave Hendon was saying something similar to this. That that sort of show shows in his game. You know, he's he's battled through a lot of stuff in the past, and he'll happily battle through frames of snooker as a result. You know, they don't doesn't seem like that much of a battle when you've gone through other harder things. I know a lot of the, the, some of the players that have sort of gone through illnesses and stuff say similar things. You know, games of snooker don't seem as much of a struggle. Um, and yeah, uh, his, his resilience. Uh, it's all part of his life isn't it uh, what he's experienced and it shows in his game Um, so yeah you're right he's he's an inspirational figure in a way um, and deserves all the respect in the world really for what he's achieved in the game and his life
0: Yeah very much so and you you know you talk about the Pantheon now obviously you've got Hendry on seven you've got O'Sullivan on six but now you know you've got Selby on four, which is level with John Higgins. And when you think of how supreme Higgins is and his incredible talents and brilliance at this game, you have to say, Selby has dredged up every last, he's wrung every drop of his ability and he's worked bloody hard. And to win four world titles is magnificent. And I know we both pushed him a little bit on, you know, what his targets are now, I mean, listen, it'll be a surprise if he gets up to that Henry level. Of course it will. But he's 37. And, you know, if, if the class of 92 are anything to go by, Phil, he's got seven, eight, maybe even ten good years left of trying to win this. And, you know, while saying it would be a surprise if he gets to seven, I think it will also be a bit of a surprise if this is his last one. When you think about how granite he is and brilliant he is in that format.
1: Yeah, 100%. You would expect him to win at least one more. Um, I mean, he, he had that down spell, didn't he, a couple of years where um, he did Well, I think he only actually went about 14 months without winning an event. And, I mean, that shows with the quality of the man that that, can, that was his, like, darkest spell in snooker, that he went just every year without a title, you know. I mean, it's not that long. It happens to a lot of players. Um, but... You know, if, he, if he's if he's rediscovered his fi- his best form, which he seems to have done, back up to world number two, he's, he's still a bit way behind Trump, but um, he's pushing, and um, this could be another purple patch like he went through for that spell where he's at the top of the rankings for four years. Um, he, he's in a great place with his game in with working with Chris Henry, so yeah, I expect another another good spell of not dominance because there's too many good players to dominate, but he's going to be one of the favorites to win everything he goes in now and that is including the world title and his game is just yeah i mean he'll be able to pull out to do this granite stuff forever i guess his break building it'll be what suffers as he gets into his sort of mid to late 40s but the the uh, the rock solid side of his game is probably going to last forever so he's always going to be very difficult to beat and he was knocking in big breaks he made 12 centuries in this tournament so as long as he's doing that, and he's got the other side, it's just very hard to see people beating him.
0: No, it really is, and he's got the world number one again. That's the, the next thing he, he, he in his sights that he wants to do and get back there. I mean, let's say more about Murphy then. I mean, I think we mentioned in our live episode, by the way. Let's mention that that we really enjoyed recording in Sheffield, didn't we? And mm-hmm. you know, I know we, we we're limited a, a bit by you know not not exactly high-set equipment on our phones, but a lot of people did comment on the, on the sights and sounds, and I loved that. I thought there was a real audio quality about it. And how good was Kelly Barker, by the way? What a, what a delightful guest. The only Yeah, problem- absolutely. Yeah,
1: I'd, I'd not met Kelly before, about two minutes before we started recording. But, um, yeah, great stuff. What a lovely lady and uh, obviously knows her stuff. Wow, been there forever. So, um, yeah, hopefully get her back on some time.
0: Oh, definitely. The only problem was she was getting so much praise, Phil. People were saying <laughs> she, she should come on every week. To the extent that I was thinking, you know, maybe we should ask which one of us should be replaced. Um, the, the jury's out at the moment. They haven't they haven't said which one, but no, that was smashing. We really enjoyed it. And Kelly, if you're listening, thanks ever so much again for coming on to join us. But we said there about where's this come from Sean Murphy. I mean, he's obviously in, in a good place again, this a great signs for him going forward. I mean, I have to say, he talks about his, his life in snooker being a kind of roundabout thing because he won his first ranking title, of the world title. But he's actually had three world final defeats in a row now. And it's never quite as painful when you've won it. Obviously, not like a Jimmy. It's nothing like a Jimmy mm-hmm. where he never won it or Matthew Stevens who had lost two finals and never won it. But still, to lose three finals and three in a row, you know, that you're in, is hard, isn't it? It, it You know, it, it's going to be painful for him, but I guess the the overriding thing is he played so brilliantly in this fortnight and really reminded the snooker public and the sporting public just what a talent he is.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, he's always going to be sort of in and around sort of the latter stages of tournaments so or involved, but um, he'd sort of dropped off the radar a bit in terms of being talked about as likely winners of, uh, likely winner of events, um, which is, as you say, it's crazy because he's, he's got, well, he has, he's been to all these finals, but he's also got sort of a dodgy record in the World Championships. Seems to be all or nothing a lot with Sean. Um, but yeah, you're right, he has reminded everyone what he could do um, because he hadn't been showing it really. Um, and he talked about, it's obviously the big thing this, this tournament was that he was going back to the attacking style of his youth. And but he, ha- he has sort of spoken about that before, and you never you're never quite sure with players how much they're saying things to talk themselves into it. Um, but it seemed like it absolutely was this time, and uh, and and it worked. Obviously, um, these players are so good, you know. He's a former world champion that they that the form can just spring out of nowhere. Sometimes you can just think, right, I'm going for these, and they then it goes in. And you have a great few days. That seemed to be what happened with Sean. But hopefully he'll he'll. Build on this and uh, get a bit of consistency back because I think that's his only problem. He's always got the ability to turn it on and, at any time, um, but he's just in that group of players sort of below the elite that can do that and don't do it as often as the very very top guys. Um, but if he can f- find it a bit more regularly, then yeah, still a force for years to come.
0: Yep, good way of saying it. Certainly could be. He, he, he certainly got the talent to, to have. Many years and good years left in the game. Uh, a word about the crowds, Phil. I mean, I know we were there at the at the Crucible last Tuesday and, and last Wednesday, and I was in for the uh, first session of the Bingham and McGill match, which was great. It's always very, very special to be there. But it wasn't that kind of full Crucible experience. But, well, today, for both those sessions, was something else, wasn't it? And I, I wrote for Metro that, that those roars were kind of more reminiscent of a, of a big football final or maybe the mm. Cheltenham Festival. It had that kind of quality about it. And Barry Hearn, actually, um, as we know, the now outgoing uh, World Snooker Tour chairman, uh, was on the BBC tonight. And I, I wrote some quotes down here about, about the, you know, the, the crowds and, and the full house at the Crucible. He says, we needed to breathe. We needed to feel some energy. That fist pumping, you don't get that behind closed doors. It's not just for the game. It's a statement that the country is back. We are coming through this. It's a joyous moment. And it had that quality tonight, didn't it? Mm -hmm. I talked about the emotion that I felt um, personally. I know I wasn't alone, by the way. Many other people said that they were also emotional tonight at different parts of the night. But it was also uh, a joyous moment. It it wasn't actually 100%. Um, brilliant, You know, we're not cheerleaders and I, I must admit I did have one or two people that had messaged me and thought it was too much too soon, there is still that view out there and some snooker fans weren't comfortable in going this year but you know, it's a nuanced thing, it's a nuanced issue but as a sight and as a sound you know, you couldn't help as a lover of snooker and a lover of sport not to get very excited by that and maybe even a bit overcome Phil
1: yeah, definitely. I felt the same when the roar was going. And it was both sessions, the afternoon session and the evening session. The evening one seemed to go on forever after Rob got them going. Um, I didn't think it was going to stop for a while. And they do some amazing camera work in the Crucible to make it look like it's an absolute sea of people. And we know it's actually quite a small room, really. But it just looked, cause especially because we've not seen crowds um, for a year or so. So, yeah, it was, it was an amazing sight, an amazing sound. And yeah um, I mentioned I mentioned in the last part when we were in Sheffield that it might become a bit emotional because of what everyone's gone through and it's exactly what happened mm-hmm. um, and yeah I mean I, I I I can definitely see the point of view that maybe people think it's a bit too much but hopefully everything will go as everyone's hoped and all the testing will have worked um the research that they've been carrying out all the data they've been collecting will all be worthwhile, and. Uh, it can be a big stepping stone to more and more of this in the future and uh, well I've heard nothing, I've heard nothing to the contrary so far, I'm not sure when we will or won't but I would say no news is good news so far on that front Um, but yeah it was amazing and it may. I think it really, it was the final that really, obviously there were more and more fans going through but probably because it's the final and obviously it was a bit a few more people there but it just seems so much louder all the way through to the extent where people were being told to settle down a lot more, which we haven't heard for a while. There's some people on Twitter who even like, oh, I forgot how annoying the fans are. But we're still pleased to have them back.
0: Yes, it's a bit like that. It's been like that in a few sports I follow, actually. It's been a bit, lot, quite a lot like that in golf, actually, with the old uh, get in the hole and all oh, that. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, you know, uh, you know, look, not quite not quite my kingdom for another lockdown, because we never want to play <laughs> that. We, we, do, we do love fans back, but there's always that slight element of it, of course. I have to say, of course, the data that is collected will be vital. And I have to echo what Kelly Barker was saying. She will know a lot more than me, because she went in every day. But I know from what I saw with my own eyes and the people I spoke to, that, you know, it was a br- brilliantly organised event at the Crucible. Mm-hmm. It really was. It was so smooth. Fans knew whether, what they were doing at all times. Everything was very clear. And I had to say, the staff, they were always good, but they were particularly good this year. I didn't go through as a fan, but most nights when I was there, I was sort of walking back around the front of the crucible and saying goodnight to the various people. They couldn't have been more cheery, you know, Phil. Mm-hmm. I was speaking to them about the game and about how they were enjoying the tournament, having a good old chat with the people up there. They were great, you know. And that's so important, you know, that kind of... Um, rapport that those people they were having with, 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 the, with the public. And, you know, people will have had a very good experience. I know not many went through the doors compared to normal, but the, those that did, Kelly, as I said, others that have written to us as well, it was a really good experience. It's important for us to put that on record, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I, I, I was there the same as you those two days. And, you yeah, know, everyone's always great at the Snooker Tournaments. Um, always very helpful, always very polite. Very friendly, and I think they—I think they were aware that the fans had to go. It was a pretty rigorous process compared to just going to a snooker tournament normally. So uh, I think they were doing their best as they always do, but uh, maybe an extra—an extra level of their best to make sure everyone was comfortable. Because you know, it—it it wasn't. We said last time, you know, it's probably—it's probably just you've got to really love snookers to be going through that to go and watch it. Um, and they deserve to be treated well, and they were. And, yeah, I think the people there were were rewarded with the match and the experience and, you know, it's a bit of history, isn't it, really? It's the first time that a full crowd has been in this country for since all this mess started. So, uh, yeah, I want to tell the grandkids, probably.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, now... We don't usually have a, a particularly rigid schedule for the pod anyway. It might just be a few words scribbled down, but we, we really haven't organised this one tonight, we <laughs> we, Bill? We're, 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 it's seat of the pants affair, but some of think that works well. But different things are coming to my head, I'm, sure I'm sure they are to you too. Um, one of them is, I, I, I think they could tighten the pockets up next year. I have to say, some of those balls going down, particularly um, along the black cushion, uh, that were dropping, um, and it's not not me saying it. You know, only it's people like Stephen Hendry saying it. Definitely, he's coming out and saying no. That was that was a miss. You know, um, it's anecdotal in some ways. I'm not saying all the pockets were very tight in the past, and they're not now. That's far too simplistic. But I think I, some of the balls that were dropping in this tournament, I thought um, mm, I, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't entirely happy. What's your view?
1: Yeah, it seemed to play differently sort of over the tournament because I remember right at the very start it seemed to look quite tight but then there were certainly some, I can't remember the specific examples, but there were two or three over the tournament that looked like they'd missed by quite some way really. It was strange and yeah, I mean, that the one that Hendry mentioned, he just did call it a miss. Um, there was a Selby, was it Selby in the semi-final or didn't it, the first session of the final? I can't remember the specific examples but... Certainly, yeah, there were some odd shots. And Mark Williams, we were there after his quarterfinal loss, and he said, um, he said the tables are playing great, but they need. They, he said he said they need to tighten them up, and that was after he'd just been 13 thirteen three, and he was saying the table too easy. Um, so it was a funny time for him to say it, but um, in, on Twitter as well. Since he said they've been playing big for a while, um, so I mean, I. I don't know, you'd have to play a long old game, you'd have to be in the game yourself to really know for sure. But there was certainly, I can think, of, there's two or three examples in my head that looked like quite clear misses that went in. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a strange one, The Crucible, that it's, it's so different from most of the setups they play in every, all year. And I, I find that moving from the one, two tables to one table seems to mess things up as well. Because that very first morning of the first semi, that was really dodgy. Um, um, yeah. the, Bingham, the first session of Bingham Selby match, um, not so much the pockets. That was um, mad bounces off cushions, like they were really struggling to control anything. Mm. Um, so yeah, the cru- <laughs> Crucible just tend to throw up some funny conditions. Um, but yeah, by by the end, it seemed to have tightened up more. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I, know, I know I know there was a session or two where it was getting a bit daft. But then by the end, today, seemed to have tightened up a bit. But, you know, I don't really know the intricacies of these things. But, yeah, I think to your point, there was two or three which looked a bit mad.
0: <laughs> well, Finally, I don't really have a problem with table conditions. I think that's, you know, there's so many variables there. You know, we, there the, were a big struggle at Celtic Manor, weren't they? And mm. the players found them very difficult. But I think that was a lot to do with the the, the, the conditions, the weather conditions, a lot of rain in the area. Funny bounces of cushions. I always think they're a bit variable and they kind of happen. I'm more understanding of those. So maybe we're just all different in the things that annoy us. But the pockets, I think, is an issue, I have to say. But listen, as a completist, Phil, let's deal with the two matches we haven't talked about yet. And that's the semi semifinals. Mm-hmm. Um, first one, Sean Murphy, 17, Kyron Wilson, 12. I can't remember who said it now. I think it was on Twitter about these being the first proper crucible scars for Kyron. But I kind of agree with that because he was 10-4 up going really well. Um, I mean, he was basically basically blitzed by by Murphy. And from 12-12, you know, Murphy won at a canter. Um, Sean was giving it a lot of theat- theatrics and then said, Arthur, as well, this is, this is a theatre we're putting mm-hmm. on a show. I, I wasn't particularly offended by by Murphy's uh, celebrations and thought, yeah, I didn't think much particularly well of Wilson's complaints. My feeling about that was that it was the old thing. You've just had a mentally taxing experience, a bruising defeat. And you, we know the, better than most people, you know, the, the intricacies of the crucible. You walk straight out of the arena, round a, quite a short walk round the corridor, straight in the press room, microphone up your nose. Mm. You know, that's not conducive to really giving your best considered views, is it? I think it was more down to that, but Yeah, Murphy was giving it theatrics. I I didn't really have a big problem with that. Um,
1: But did you? No, not at all. Um, And, yeah, again, I was surprised Kyron sort of said that, but Kyron's like a super sensible bloke. I think if you asked him now, he would probably say, no, I did not actually have a problem. He probably just meant I wouldn't do it myself more than anything. But, no, I mean, he did it at the end of frames that he'd won, I. I don't see any problem with that in the slightest. You know, in the middle of frames, maybe, but I wouldn't even really have an issue then. Um, yeah, there's a big old gap at the end of a frame before the next one starts. You can do whatever you want. You'd have a little dance around the table, as far as I'm concerned, a little fist pumped and get the crowd going. Absolutely fine. Um, so, no, I don't think there's an issue. And yeah, I think if Kyron was asked now, I don't think he would have an issue with it really either. Um, you're right in saying that. it's it's crazy in the press room because we're people who haven't been there, obviously, we're just sat in there just watching it on a TV screen. And so quickly after you see them bumping elbows and leaving the arena, you turn around and they're there. (laughs) You don't really realise how short it is. Um, And they're asked questions, yeah. And they're asked specific questions about things, you know, Kyron didn't bring that up himself. He was asked about that issue. Um, And yeah, I think, as I said, I think if he was asked now, you wouldn't have much of a problem with it. And yeah, I enjoyed it to be fair. Um, It was making the most of having fans back in, you know, get them going now they're in there.
0: Actually, I know we said it's instant, but you saying it there clarified it in my head even more that there is such an an instance about it because, you know, the likes of our top football managers, you know, uh, Ole Solskjaer, Jurgen Klopp, uh, and and uh Mocia, they have that little bit of time to consider themselves, don't they? A little bit of time in the dressing room with their players, you know, it might be 20 minutes, half an hour, might be 45 minutes before they come out. And maybe players sometimes a bit sooner. And I think sometimes now, because of COVID, players have maybe interviewed on the pitch a bit, a bit a bit quicker. But at least there's an, some chance to gather your thoughts. But you know, uh, to, to literally have to speak straight away, uh, as snooker players do, and you know, in the biggest tournament on the biggest stage, it is hard. And maybe that was a maybe that was an element of 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 the factor of Selby talking about disrespect from Ronnie last year. Maybe having said that, Selby has continued to say that, so he probably did mean it. But I do think sometimes there's like, yeah, I think you're right. If Kyoma was asked now, he probably Say it wasn't really much of a factor. Um, but I thought it got inside Kyron's head a bit because I think he kind of a couple of times might have even looked to check if Sean was celebrating at the end of a session. And I don't know if it if it did him many favours really, but he had a big lead in that match. And but but the good thing is, you know, having seen a lot of Kyron after that, you know, it meant loads. You know, it's not one of those where yeah. you know, I think the depth of the meaning was a good sign in a funny kind of way for Caro, and he was like I want to chuck this microphone out of the window you know um yeah (laughs) and yeah I I kind of think it as I said before I think maybe in the last podcast it will be a surprise if he doesn't win it one day no guarantees This tournament's too hard for that Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't put my life savings on it but you have to think one day he'll get to the top of, of Snooker's Everest, won't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would expect him to. But yeah, as you say, it's, no, no one's guaranteed anything this game. And there's there's probably better players that you might, you'd probably describe as better than Kyron Wilson who haven't won it. Um, but he's, I know he's fallen short again, but he's fallen short in the semi-finals. He's just, his record is unbelievable so far in terms of consistency here. Um, and yeah, he just, he looked like he was about to breeze past Sean Murphy. Um, really was in control. Looked great. There was a spell of four or five frames where he just was knocking in break after break, um, and it looked it looked like he was gonna. It was a bit of a breeze through. Um, but yeah, and he didn't do loads wrong really. Murphy just went on an absolute rampage. Um, so hopefully he will look at it that way and think, oh, I've not bottled it in the semi-finals or whatever. Um, any of these players can just click into gear and do that to you sometimes um but yeah as you say it's that you would think losing the final would be more painful but that would be that'll hurt him way more than losing the final last year which was just a one-sided affair um against the greatest player ever um uh, but yeah he'll be back he'll be fine uh and you know he's almost guaranteed to reach the court finals here next year he's, he's do it every year so um we'll see i think that the the point about him winning at some point is that he's got age on his side, isn't he? Like he's, the class of '92 guys have got to go at some point. I'm not sure when it is, but they've got to. Um, and the likes of Selby, Robertson, Maguire, Murphy, uh, nearly a day. Wilson and he'll definitely back and stronger because he seems to get better every year. This is the thing. He he's one of the And a a very top player that is notably better every season, which is quite incredible, really. Um, So, yeah, he'll be back and better next year.
0: Yes, you thought he would be. Um, And the other semi-final, Mark Selby, 17, Stuart Bingham, 15. Um, I just had a message come up saying, your internet connection is unstable. I think we can hear that. I don't know if I'm breaking up when I'm speaking, am I? Because you certainly are at times. Um, Every so often. We'll
1: see. We'll plough on.
0: We'll plough on. And if it, if it isn't quite the same listening experience, then apologies, folks. We're, we're at the uh, the mercy of the world wide web. And um, <laughs> we, we will indeed plough on. It's very late at night here, but um, it's fitting, isn't it, Phil? It's it's a late night sport, isn't it, Snooker? You know, we don't want to speak at seven or eight in the morning. It's much more appropriate to speak in the witching hour, I think. <laughs> yeah. on, on with um, the other semi-final, Selby 17, Bingham 15. Um. Yeah, in a funny kind of way, although you'd say that obviously the last day was decisive, I kind of thought a very decisive moment was the Friday night. Selby in big trouble, being on one loads of frames in a row, was 12-9 up. But then Selby, classic Selby, he almost switched into that mode. He almost did it from memory. He held on. He kept himself alive at only 13-11 behind. Now, While saying I admire Mark enormously, and I do, um, I think I'm I'm also a bit of a take-each-case-on-its-merits person as well. I didn't think playing on for that many snookers in the last frame was a brilliant look, if I'm honest. Uh, My instant reaction was, oh, come on. You know, this frame's gone. Now, it it could have well have been all part of the psychology of snooker, and that's great. He's... Totally entitled to, to play on for that and these snookers, but I don't know. I that didn't sit absolutely brilliant with me. What was your view on that?
1: Yeah, I thought I thought the fact it was the last frame of the night made it very odd. If if there was another one to come, then I would then I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. Actually, you can do what you want. You're trying, probably trying to wind him up, thinking I'm going to get another go at him in the next one. But the fact that they're all just going to go um go back to their hotel and go to bed afterwards um, did seem. Pointless to be honest. So it, was just, it was just a bit of um, a He can do what he wants, but I, didn't, I just didn't see the point of it. But, you know, he's gone and won the match, so maybe it was all just men, uh, mental power banked for him and taken away from Bingham. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Um, I'm not sure if he was asked about that in the interview afterwards. I didn't see it, but, um, you know, it's all part of his master plan. It, it has worked, so fair play to him. But as I say, Last round of the day, you've lost it. I don't see if it's doing himself any good. Surely he wants to go to bed. Um, but yeah, it was a funny one.
0: Uh, I mean, Stuart complained about, uh, you know, suggested it might have been gamesmanship, Mark slowing the, the game down. Mark, you know, pointed out that they had a very sh- similar shot time. Uh, so, th- again, there was <laughs> there was quite a lot of needle flying around in the Crucible on that Saturday night, but you know, listen, uh, when it's when it's the high stakes like that, and as I've already mentioned, when players are interviewed straight away, you know, perhaps that's no surprise. I mean, Bingham emerged <laughs> with great credit, didn't he, Phil, really? You know, to, to go that deep again, first time at the one table since he won the title, he got very, very close, and I, I actually think he probably gave Selby a closer game than I, than I thought he would, frankly.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think Selby was sort of a very clear favourite for that, and Bingham was in it or ahead of it for a lot of the... I mean, he looked very, very good whenever he was amongst the balls. Again, if you get dragged into that horrible mire by Selby, then no one escapes the better side of that. Um, And that's what happened to an extent. Um, It was very drawn out at times there. Um, But no, Bingham proved, you know, he came in this as a qualifier. I mean, we've said it a load of times over this tournament, but it's still easy to forget um, and he's proved himself to be a top player once again. Um, uh, I'm not sure where he goes up to in the rankings, actually, after that 100 grand, but um, he'll be back into the top 10, I imagine, and that's where he belongs, really. So, yeah, I mean, obviously disappointing um, for him, but, yeah, it's, when he looks back, it's a very good tournament for him.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of saying it, and I think that's wrapped up all, all the actual matches. Um there's loads to say about the tournament. We could talk all night, frankly. I mean, maybe a word about the TV coverage. Um, <laughs> we know that uh, Jack lesowski came on, and in the end, Judd Trump was part of the BBC team as well. Um, I don't mind bat- going into bat for you, Phil. I thought that maybe you, you could have got a little bit more credit yourself for, for the fact that you actually broke that story. Uh, the BBC took that story on themselves and... Kind of made themselves the heroes a little bit, but um, but but they're the ones that brought Judd Trump in, and he seemed to enjoy it a lot, didn't he? And it it, it definitely added something, didn't it? And it, it definitely felt the BBC were kind of listening a little bit more this year. And actually, I have to say, I know they did a funny couple of things. They left, um, was it the Bingham and and uh, McGill? They left. I think it was that that night. They left at six o'clock when it was very near the end. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't think anyone could really complain about the levels of coverage. I mean, the BBC4 BBC coverage at the night regularly went over time and they really you know, did, did give a, an awful lot of coverage to this tournament. We've said it before, but some of the other sports that would kill for that, you know. Um, and I thought the BBC team was was decent. I think Alan Manis is an absolutely outstanding broadcaster. He sounds like he's been doing it for 20 years to me. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely brilliant. I almost since he's becoming a bit of a de facto number one in the BBC, that's kind of how I it sounded to me. Eurosport excellent as usual. Homer TV snooker. Colin Murray very very good presenter, great enthusiasm. Neil Folds of course just a you know brilliant voice of the game. Uh, lots of people on their team that I, I really admire. Uh, two good calls tonight for the final moment. Um, I think it was in it goes was the line from both John Virgo and David Hendon. I could have been wrong with that, but I think that was the line they both give as, the, as that black went in. And g- good TV coverage generally. And, you know, I know snooker fans want snooker to be on morning, noon and night, but they nearly got their wish filled because that was a, that was a lot, a hell of a, hell of a lot of coverage. But And, and thinking particularly of the B, because I know US sport tend to show every ball all the time. They have, you know, more more space in that sense. But, the, you know, the, the, the beaver merged with a lot of credit for this tournament for me.
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, we can't expect them to just show every single second, you know. Um, as much as we want, want it on there and we all watch every every minute it is on there, you know, there's a lot of people in the country who probably come round to this part of the year and think, bloody hell, why is all that snooker on the TV? You know, we have to admit that. Um so yeah, I think you get, you get, it does very well and it, and it was very really good. And as you say, I think, yeah, it's great that they did listen. Um, oh, yeah, not me personally, but it would have be been nice if they just give a Metro mention when they did that big feature on it. Um, and they're actually putting quotes from the interview on the screen. I thought they could have been a little just a little written Metro underneath there, but we move on. Um, but yeah, it's great that they have listened though and, and it had, it worked really well. Um, Jack and Judd did their jobs brilliantly and they were Um, they were sort of thrown in to all different areas, weren't they? So they were both on comms in the studio, thrown to do the little demonstration things. Um, You know, as far as I'm aware, they've done none or or at best very little of any of that before. And they were chucked in at Deep End live on BBC. And they were great. There was that one bit um, where it was just the two of them at the table just trying to do daft shots. And I thought it was lovely. I thought it just looked like two mates who were really good at snooker just down the club, um, trying to impress each other. And I I really did think if that if people were turned on then who didn't know about the game or knew very little about the game, that 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 kind of thing would make them want to pick up a cue and go and have a go, Um, which is exactly why they're there. That's exactly the point they were making about getting younger people involved. Um, So, yeah, really good uh it makes it makes a difference having people who are on the tour now talking about stuff and Judd I thought especially was he was just calling shots better than the other commentators he was on with and that is just i mean cuz he's such a good player but you would think that would come from commentary as well uh and i for seeing it watching other people's games but he was calling things brilliantly he was really very good so um yeah well done to the Beeb for sort of listening to what he said and acting on it and and fair play to Judd and Jack for um, thinking that that needed to happen and then doing it. Yeah, you know, that's probably really nerve-wracking for them and it's one thing saying something should happen and then someone goes, all right, well, you do it then. It could have been easily, easy for them to say, oh, well, you know, just make an excuse, but they took the bull by the horns and did it themselves and they did a really good job. And yeah, EuroSport goes without saying how good that is. I love their studio, the penthouse. They kept calling it. It was great. Yeah, um, Neil Foles' big screen was nice. <laughs> and then, yeah, they always do a great job, those guys, um, and continue to here. So, yeah, no complaints about TV coverage at all, really, on either side.
0: No, we're definitely spoiled as snooker fans. Uh, now, we've had lots and lots of nice tweets in talking about uh, our live show, which we enjoyed, and... Uh, various interesting views on the championship and how much people have enjoyed them. There are a couple of emails that I, I want to turn to now. And the first one's from Shay Jenkins, who says, Hi, Nick and Phil. Thanks very much for your fantastic podcast. I've been listening for about a month or so now. and love that I can hear others' views and stories about a sport I care so much about. Just wanted to get your views on this. I feel like this championship, feels like a shift in momentum for the tour. The class of 92 are arguably the biggest legends this sport has ever produced. Being a huge Don Higgins fan myself, I can't help but tip fellow Scott Anthony McGill to have deeper runs at the Crucible now. Alongside McGill, we have Kyron Wilson's Crucible Consistency. That's two of those Crucible players that we talk so much about. There's Judd Trump. And it feels inevitable that Jack Lisowski will imminently be a top player and break his tournament duck. That's not even mentioning the Chinese players with Zhu's run at the UK and Yan Bintao's incredible achievement at the Masters. I know that this year's semi-finalist Kyron exempts a 37 plus, but it feels like those younger players are getting more consistency now and really knocking on the door, pressing the renowned top players. I'm by no means suggesting that older players, particularly the class of 92, can no longer win tournaments. But do you think this is the start of a changing of the guard, a watershed moment from here? And we'll see those younger players finally start to dictate the game. Well, um I suppose I'll have a go at this first. Maybe. I mean, I think we, we always have to beware, you know, placing too much emphasis on one particular world championship because they go in funny directions. And it's only last August that Ronnie won, won the last one. Um, They probably should start declining really the class of 92. I mean, we've been saying this a long time, but of course it's only a month or so, maybe two months ago now that John Higgins produced unbelievable performances to win the players championship. So, you know, The death of the class of 92 has been greatly exaggerated, perhaps, and they have got life in them yet. I'm sure, and tournament wins. But I wouldn't like to think, because I love watching the class of 92, but logic says that, yes, they'll pass over to the younger players soon. And, you know, from a sort of watching and fans and journalists point of view, it would be great in a way to see the sort of Trumps, Wilsons, Lisowski's, McGill's battling out, because I guess we've got so many more years of them to come, Phil. But, you know, the minute me or you start saying that's it for the class of 92, one of those rascals will produce a brilliant performance and win a big tournament, won't they? So we're not going to do that, are we?
1: No, not at all. I mean, I'm looking at the rankings now, which I think are the like, the updated ones after tonight, even. You know, Ronnie's number three john's number seven and Marks number eleven so if if we think these guys are finished then i mean no no way i mean it's is it's always tempting to look for these uh, watershed moments uh, as the email said but um it's, it's just not like that is it't there no, there's not just a point where you go right that's it for them um they will they will eventually slowly decline but there's not really any sign of it, you know, as I just, just described their rankings there. Eh? You know, they're all top players in the world still. And, yeah, they probably don't do it as consistently as, as they used to. Um Maybe oh, – I was going to say their peaks, maybe not as much as they as as high as they used to be, but I don't think you could really say that. I think when any of them really click into gear, they're still as good as anyone. It's just they don't do it as often. Um like we said the John at the player championship we said it loads of times you know that was unbeatable but he's just not been able to do it since um so yeah i mean the three of them in this forthcoming season how many how many ranking events would you expect them to win between them probably maybe one each you two or three between the three of them so uh in terms of world titles that's a funny one i wouldn't necessarily put loads of money on Another world title between the three of them, but they've still got plenty more ranking events um, to come. So, um, yeah, is this isn't that that watershed moment that was just described, but uh, they're only going one way. There, they're not going to get better, um, and the pressure is still on young players to emerge and knock them off the perch. I mean, those guys, the the, the group of young guys we're talking about. Um, are all about 30. You know, it's not that young, really. It's only just slightly younger than me. And I don't feel that young. <laughs> so We really need a new batch of teenagers to come to really, uh, knock them off their purchase, which is, which is more the young Chinese guys, you know, Yan, Yan's 20 now, I think Xiao's 21, 22, Jin Tong's 23. Um, so yeah, pressure on those guys to really step up next season. I think.
0: Yeah, indeed. Good way of saying it. And, uh, well, touching word, famous last words. I think it might have eased now a little bit out some of our internet problems. I think it's been a bit smoother the last few minutes, mm-hmm. and it's certainly stopped raining here finally in in this in, in my parish in, in in East London. So hopefully we, we'll have a bit of a smoother passage now. It feels like we're heading towards the hour mark. So about only about three to go, Phil. Eh? <laughs> um but. That was a lovely uh, email uh, from from you, Shay. And thank you very much, indeed, for your kind words. And thank you for listening to us. More nice words here from Joel Dudfield, who has messaged us tonight, actually, right up to date. Mm-hmm. Says, hi, guys. First off, love the podcast. First listened after Jordan Brown won the Welsh and have been subscribing ever since. Haven't got a question. Well, that's nice and easy. Just wanted to say, Mark Selby, a thoroughly deserving winner. Only one session v. Bingham and one v. Murphy where he wasn't great. Otherwise, he was light years ahead of anyone else throughout the championship. Massive thank you to Barry Hearn and World Snooker Tour 2. I was lucky enough to attend last year's final, as well as this year, Robertson Liang, round one, session one. The requirements for this year were far more stringent. And last year was fine, as it was, in my opinion. WST had done a great job of bringing about the safe return of fans. Well, we've already said that. and We certainly concur with that. Mm -hmm. Just watching the introduction this afternoon, this is on today, Monday. It almost brought tears. It was the first genuine realisation that we're approaching normality again. All being well, I'll be attending all the Triple Crown events next season. It will be my first UK Championship. Bring it on. Well... Smashing Joel, you'll hopefully uh, enjoy that. I'm sure you will. God willing, it's in York, Phil. I have no reason Mm -hmm. to think why it won't be in that great city at Christmas. So, Joel will enjoy that. And, well, you know, fair points there on on Selby, fair points on World Snooker Tour. And thinking about venues next season, of course, I think we're going to hear in the coming days a bit more about the calendar for the 21 22 season. Won't it be great to get back to some of those places? Not just York, but Alley Pally for the Masters. You know, Landudno. I know some snooker fans love going over to, to Berlin. The German fans love it over there for that event, the German Masters. You know, let's say again, Milton Keynes did a brilliant job. This is not going to be one of those Milton Keynes bashing uh, operations here that, that stepped into the breach, that place. But yeah, it'd be
1: good to get back to some of those much-loved venues, won't it? Yeah, definitely. And there's a few places I've not been to that have been he- hosting tournaments for a long time that, you know, you just think, oh, I'll go someday. But that, you know, the pandemic's done this with a lot of things. You just think, oh, actually, no, I'll get that done now, I think. So, yeah, if, if Berlin's back on the menu next season, I think I'll be definitely be going to that one. Um, and, yeah, uh, York's another great one, yeah. So he'll, he'll definitely enjoy that trip. Um, and I think Mark, actually, Mark let let – Slipped something in his interview afterwards, saying that the season he didn't he's heard a rumor that the season won't start again until July. That's all we know at the minute, and if we do know that, that's just something Mark Selby had heard, so might not be true. Um, but yeah, we'll wait and see in the next week or so. The calendar will be eagerly awaited because snooker fans are going to be wanting to get to as much of that as possible. I don't think they're going to be struggling to sell tickets anyway, really, because people will be chomping at the bit.
0: Well, each of their own. But, you know, I like breaks. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be disappointed to hear about that kind of start. I think all sports should have breaks. And I think that, uh, I mean, I cover a lot of golf. And I think that's one of the problems of that sport. And, you know, I know some of the top stars, Rory McIlroy said it as well, that, you know, it doesn't necessarily serve you well to have constant action all the time. Same, tennis is a bit like that as well. Tennis has about four or five weeks off, if that. I think no. I like breaks. Mm. Even the sports I love, the one and I adore snooker, but I want to have a proper break so then you relish the next season more. Less is more, and it's sometimes we don't always get that message in sport. Um, uh, but uh, but so I, I wouldn't mind a break at all. Um, but but when it comes back, we'll we'll look forward to it immensely, of course. And so many special events to come next season. I feel a bit all snookered out tonight, Phil. But <laughs> but in saying that, you know. There I'll be on Thursday checking a little bit of the the world seniors action. I know you will. I know you will as well, sir. Won't you?
1: Yeah, I really like the seniors, and it's actually um, it's actually shaping up quite nicely. They kept seeing the guys in the BBC studio practicing. Everyone was roping in Chris Henry to start helping him. Parrot was on there. Doherty was on there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be quite good. I think. Obviously, Jimmy White and Steve Henry in there as well. Um, going to be interesting. Uh, Patsy Fagan back in there as well at a grand old age Um, so yeah, no, I'll definitely be watching that, I found last year it was a really nice sort of because this this is sort of overwhelming the World Championship in a way but to then go sort of cold turkey afterwards you don't really want to, you want a bit of a nice easing out of the snooker um, high that is the World Championship and I think the World Seniors is a perfect thing for that in the week afterwards so yeah, I will be watching that. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It would be then nice to um step back for a while and then uh, prepare again to go go big when the new season starts.
0: Well, we're planning to have a few weeks off, aren't we? We're going to have, you know, we're not we're not going to start lecturing the sport to have a break and have none ourselves. We're going to have a little break, but we will be back towards the end of the month, won't we? Um, I mean, hopefully, a lot more treats to come. It will be snooker downtime. We're going to have guests. We're going to have. Lots of your views. Hopefully, we've got another your views um, episode planned, probably for the very end of the month. Uh, so keep your thoughts coming into us. Always welcome. Uh, email talking snooker at yahoo.com. Uh, tweet us at uh, talking snooker. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a bit of a break and uh, and come back all guns blazing in a few weeks, uh, Phil. But let's I think now, shall we, uh, as it's our last one of the season. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the season. In general. And you know, no, no. it's been such a strange one. Um, unique circumstances, nearly all the events at Milton Keynes, uh, behind closed doors. If someone had told you that we'd have a season with no fans and you know everything behind closed doors, you you'd kind of only have not only, but you'd have a lot of kind of negative thoughts about it, really, and a, a lot of worries. But to think of how much drama we've had, you know, I've scribbled a few things down here, but we had an epic UK final that finished at, at one in the morning. What a night that was. Robertson winning a, against Trump. The Ambingtown Masters triumph. What a, what a what a victory for him. The Jordan Brown shop, which one of our uh, correspondents mentioned earlier, winning the Welsh Open. John Higgins' brilliance in the Players' Championship. Neil Robertson winning the Tour Championship. Stephen Hendry returning. Lots of stories you know, and it's just you know, it's just been somehow it's been almost what you'd say one of the greatest Great. seasons if you take it over the whole campaign. It's it's been brilliant, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it really has. And it it seems weird to label as that because so much has been taken. All sorts going on. I mean, Mark Allen's champion of champions that that was brought up during during the World Championship and. I had to check twice because I thought that was longer ago than this season it feels it at least a year ago um but it was only in November um what what a performance that was um yeah, as you say, everything you've just mentioned there um and it, it's it's a funny one because like the previous world championship before this one was less than a year ago, so it all sort of rolled into one um but it was just relentless yeah relentless good action good stories that tournaments were shared around I know Judd's won five but um, it, it, it there's so many and like, every week that, um, there was an interesting story of someone else winning a lot, obviously Jan the Masters, absolutely mad that one really, um, Jordan Brown lucky enough to be there to watch that um, it's so it's easy to forget because he's, he's not won too many matches since then but what a massive shock that was lovely storylines, sort of we mentioned the class of '92, but Higgins and Williams showing some good form. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been yeah, it has been a great season, um, regardless of the mad situ- circumstances it's had to go through, which is just such credit. I mean, it's almost like a broken record, but it's a broken record that's worth still playing despite that. Just how much credit is worth giving to World Snooker for what they've done. Um, through this season to keep this going and the players for producing so much drama and such so higher quality um, through really difficult circumstances. I know it's easy, it's easy to think, oh, they've just got to go to Milton Keynes play snooker. It's better than a lot of people have had to deal with in the pandemic. But, you know, it's hard and it's affected players a lot and we see uh, with the mental stress of it. Um, but we've still been given great entertainment all the way through. And as you say, to, to call it a, almost a classic season, in the circumstances, it's been held in it is is just such such credit to everyone involved.
0: I think we're continuing to have some sound problems, so sorry about that. But that's the way it goes. Um, we, we we are doing our best, and it has been such a good season, Phil. You're quite right, and you know, so 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 many stories. And yes, yes, it is a broken record, and yes, we must keep playing that broken record because. Wouldn't it have been easy to chuck the towel in? Wouldn't it have been so easy to say, for example, last year's World Championship, let's not have it. It's too difficult. There are too many hoops to jump through. Let's miss a year because let's face it, we missed some mammoth sporting events in 2020. No Grand National, no Wimbledon, no Open Championship. Never going to see those events. We, had, we didn't even see them, you know. And to think we had a World Snooker Championship last year We've had one this year. The crowds are back, a full crucible. You know, there's almost a fairy tale element to how the season's sort of finished off. And maybe that's where the emotion came from me tonight and a lot of snooker fans, because it feels like the end of a long road, really. Um, and heavens above, we, you know, we contributed very little to it, apart from talk about it and write about it. But it feels like everyone involved in snooker, even the fans that love this game, have been on this kind of journey that almost started on on June the first last year, really, when when they snooker came back on the first day it could with mm-hmm. the Championship League event, and it feels like we've had almost, a, you know, it's almost a calendar year really, isn't it? We're now into May, so it's very nearly twelve months of continuous action, and it's been brilliant. I feel all snookered out now, but you know, it's been such, you know such a credit to everyone involved, and you know. This sport is not without its faults, but, you know, at a tournament like this, you know, whether you're on social media or at the Crucible or just generally talking to people, you realise there's a lot of good people in snooker and a lot of people that, you know, the people that love this game, you know, love it with with all their hearts, really. That's not too corny. There's such a kind of passion there, isn't there? And you probably get it in most sports, you know, I've covered a lot of golf in my life and track and field and rugby. And the people that love those sports love those sports intensely. This is not, you know, one-off. But there's just something about the snooker community. It's such a kind of funny, eccentric game, isn't it? And I, I don't know, it takes us to weird and wonderful places. And, and and sometimes it, you know, like tonight, it can make you almost emotional, can't it?
1: Yeah. I think when you're talking there about um, how it had been easy to throw the towel in, I remember a lot of people saying for the previous World Championship that when it looked like it was going on with no crowd, that was right at the start of this before we'd got tournaments on regularly. People were saying, even if you can put it on, don't bother because it's not the same without a crowd. And, I mean, people were saying don't bother doing any tournaments because it's not the same without a crowd. Imagine if we'd done that Um, and we've we've been treated to all this great action despite not having a crowd. Um, So, yeah, fair play to everyone ploughing on. It's not as good without a crowd, of course it's not, but um, it was pretty good anyway. Um, and yeah, you're right, there's a lot of passionate people in this sport um, throughout it. And you can tell the people who run it really care. They're not just doing a job. Um, they, they, they want the best for the sport and everyone in it. And that, that's how this season has worked so well because um, they've worked really hard um, because they love it so much.
0: Yeah. And just thinking about our business, you know, the number of journalists I've met over the years, and some of them have covered this well this tournament a few times, some of them have covered it a lot of times. But I'm almost always struck by how many of them say it's either one of their favourite events to cover or their very favourite. I think Mm -hmm. that that's quite telling. There's something about this tournament, whether it's the marathon, you know, nature of it or just how intense it is or How exciting it is, but and how and what a strange and funny venue and brilliant venue the crucible is. But for so many people, it's the highlight of their year, you know, and that's written press, broadcasters, you know, online journalists, whoever they are. And that there's something in that, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, especially when you go and do the whole lot, it's something of a badge of honor of getting through the 17 days, um, because it is a serious slog. Um, no one's complaining. You know, it's an absolute pleasure to go and work there, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a marathon, as we say all the time. Um, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of long days, um, but yeah, it's a real sense of achievement getting through to the end of it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think the the it's the same with all the snooker really. Sort of the access, the interaction, the great characters, and it's all shoved together into one tournament. Um, when the whole world's watching. So, yeah, I can see that um, it's an amazing, it's an amazing few days, amazing, a lot of days, really, all put together. Um, but, yeah, I can see why well, it's, it's so special people cover snooker all the time. But if you, if you didn't cover snooker much and get thrown into this, um, yeah, what an experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I feel that there's things we missed out. I think we might. You may have mentioned Chris Henry. We probably should talk about that. You know, <laughs> such a, a, an interesting and weird dynamic, really. You know, being responsible for both finalists, and you know, both both players kind of made humour out of it. But it would have been difficult for him, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, very very strange. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the logistics really were. Um, he, he he actually had the same situation in the first round because he he works with Mark Davis um so obviously on a smaller scale it didn't seem as much pressure as a world championship final but um he has he has had this situation before but yeah he he said I saw his interview before the start of play today um where he just said he he only talked about the person's game he was talking to there was no there was no mention of the other person what they were doing it was just how the best to get out of your game um which I guess is the only way around it because then that just takes that whole um, tricky side out of it. Um, but yeah, uh, great effort from Chris. I mean, Sean's been crediting him with great work for, I think he said that, seven or eight years now. Selby, for the last year he's worked with him, he's, he's never stopped saying how, how much help he's given him. Um, so, I mean, this whole tournament has been a great great advert for Chris Henry um, and he's, he's done very well financially out of it as well. Um, but he uh, he deserves it because I mean that's uh, he's done in his job getting to his place to the final. He can't do much better than that. Yeah,
0: indeed. And uh, I I feel it might be time to wrap it up, Sue. What 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 would your what would you say? The, the 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 clock certainly says it's time to wrap
1: it up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: But we we should maybe finish and just reflect a little bit on this season for us, Phil. we we've had an absolutely brilliant time, haven't we? Doing this and. Uh, there's no point pretending that we you know that we don't we don't do it for ourselves we of course we love we love the sound of our voice to some extent and love love talking about about the game that we all love but you know the response has been brilliant and we definitely wouldn't do it if people weren't listening and I know people do enjoy it they tell us and that means a lot and you know we we've done quite a lot really for our first season it just done a few things here we had Live commentary of, of day one at the Crucible, uh, an outside broadcast from outside that, that wonderful venue. I had some really top guests. Barry Herm, I think, was a brilliant interview. We really enjoyed doing that. Michael Holt's been on here. Anthony Hamilton. Some really top journalists as well and, and writers to address uh, the views of, of people that have, that have contacted us. We've loved doing that. Uh, David Caulfield, Michael Day. Brilliant. We're going to have lots more of that to come. And it's been a really good experience, is not it, Phil? We're getting, you know, listeners regularly in the hundreds now. We passed the thousand mark for the Barry Hearn episode. We have been hamstrung by the pandemic, um, no doubt about it. I mean, we've had sound issues tonight, which is, you know, annoyed me really. But, but that's one of those things. Um, we are hamstrung, and I think it brought it home to me even more with that one in Sheffield, because we we'd love to go on the road a bit more next season, wouldn't we? And come from maybe some different venues maybe some actual tournament venues who knows but mm. listen you know on the whole it's been a great experience isn't it and uh we look forward in a few weeks to returning and doing more of the same
1: yeah definitely loved it we sort of embarked on this with little or no knowledge of what we were doing or what was going to happen um just get on a zoom and start talking about snooker and i think it's gone pretty well um i've really enjoyed it feedback's been really nice um And, yeah, it's it's certainly not a one-season wonder. We're in this for the long game. So, um, as as Nick said, plenty more to come. Um, Little break now, but we'll be back. Um, New theme tune, maybe, when we come back. We'll wait and see. Um, And plenty more guests to come. And, uh, yeah, we'll see when when things get back to normality hopefully get around the country a bit more. Um, Because, yeah, I thought that outside one in Sheffield was great. Um, And, Yeah. I mean, we're, we're lining up guests at quite a rate. Nick is always contacting people to get on the, get on the schedule. But um, I guess if you guys want, any, want us to speak to anyone, then do let us know because uh, uh, that would be, be really good.
0: Well, it's very kind of you to say that I'm doing that. But, of course, you're the one that, with a hotline to most of the stars these days. And your work's been, <laughs> your work's been absolutely excellent, Phil. Some of the interviews you've done you know, in the last sort of six months to a year have been outstanding. I know we talk about the Judd Trump one, but it's has such an influence throughout the sport, and, you know, it's great really, and maybe it goes to show, you know, without delving too in, too deeply into it now, maybe that snooker's been undersold a little bit in journalism over the years. Some brilliant journalists do some great work, uh, you know, to get this sport into newspapers as best they can. There's not a criticism of any particular person, that, you know, many of them do brilliantly, but you know, we perhaps like to see a little bit more of this sport in the media, and the way you've covered it, and the scope you've been given. And I know you say that the numbers you get at, at the Metro website are brilliant. So it just shows the appetite's out there. And now let's try to spread the word, and maybe there'll be a little bit more of it in different parts of journalism of this sport,
1: eh? Yeah, I mean, I don't want too much competition, but you know, yeah, that would be great. Um yeah, I've I've always said I'm I'm really treated to a lot of freedom from my editor at the Metro. It's great, and a lot of people won't have the same same scope that I have to go and write. I said before, write 1800 word interview with Sahil Vahidi. I think that was the ultimate point where I thought I can do whatever I want in this job. This is mental. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's great because people seem to enjoy it, and um, some good stuff comes out of it. Yeah, that judge Trump obviously went went, went very well. I love that interview I did with Jack Wissowski, um at the start of the tournament. If anyone's not read that, it was really good. Um, and put up a nice one with Alan McManus when I was up in Sheffield. Treated to an hour-plus-long chat with Angles in the press room, which was great. Um, I've said before he was my favourite player when I was a kid, and uh, that was Boyhood Haig's dream there, just chatting away with Angles. Um, so that was nice. So if you haven't seen that, I'll be on my Twitter somewhere. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't want to sit here bigging up my work too much, but it's very fun. Uh, I really enjoy my job.
0: Yes. There, we have our own sort of dividing wall in the press room. And I could hear McManus chatting away for ages. I thought, who's he talking to there? Some old mate of his. And I only, only realised when you re-emerged, and it was you, you rascal. <laughs> that, was, that was a smashing chat. But, anyway, listen, we, 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 must, we must depart, and uh, we'll be back soon, but... Sincerely, we really do actually want. And you'd argue probably need your views more than ever in the weeks to come when it's snooker downtime. So please contact us. Whatever's on your mind. You want to reflect some more on the World Championship or the season. Ideas for the future. Thoughts about your favourite player. The tournaments you're looking forward to going to see again now. Nice opening up. Do contact us. TalkingSnooker at Yahoo.com or tweet us at TalkingSnooker. Goodbye, Phil. Good luck with the crucible come down. How, how how are you going to deal with it? Lots of old
1: snooker videos, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I generally will dig into the seniors. I am actually looking forward to that. Um, probably have a sleep for a while, hopefully. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Is there some other sport on? Might watch some football if I have to, I suppose. Actually, to be fair, I sound very cynical about that. But my team, Barnsley, are going to be in the playoffs. So I will be very distracted by that. If we can power into the Premier League and go on to uh, score a record points low total next season, but that's something to look forward to.
0: Let's not turn this into a Barnsley podcast now. <laughs> Good luck to your team, Phil, and uh, all the best to you. And we'll be back in a few weeks' time. But for now, from Talking Snooker, from Phil Hague and Nick Metcalf, it's Cheerio for now.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.